Hi, yeah. Nick. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, they know. Nobody, nobody has a guide for uh, sinking podcasts from across the ocean. But we're making it work. This is some high quality audio, thousands we of just, miles apart. Yeah, we synced to the word kerfunkled. <laughs> Do you know what that word means, Nick? Uh, no. <laughs> I was expecting your normal answer of that's not a real word, Jordan, and you always make words up. <laughs> I've so, chosen to just accept your new words as alternative facts <laughs> or definitions or something. It's not it's not alternative, it's 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 slang slang world. That's what I'm gonna call it. This is the slang world dictionary where where anything goes and everything means something to whoever says it. And this word kerfunkled, I think means that you're both confused but also like maybe a little bit curious and um a bit excited. That's what kerfunkled means to me. It's not just confused because you have to be, have those other parts with it. Otherwise, you would just be confused. Okay, so kind of describes my my life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like you you really want to fix something and you're you're like not sure how to do it, but you're really excited about it and you're also confused about what to do. You're kerfunkled. Yes. Yes, that sounds right. I think that's me <laughs> all the time. <laughs> So you should have got tattooed on your back instead then. <laughs> <laughs> Huge letters, shoulder to shoulder, kerfunkled. It's pretty good. It's definitely a conversation starter. Um, <laughs> Speaking of, uh, welcome to the conversation. Another conversation. Ahoy, ahoy ye mateys. We embark on a wonderful conversation into the ocean because we're talking about the sea, <laughs> which is a great subject. So, so I have to tell you guys about uh, a trial run we did of choosing subjects <laughs> for this show, uh, which involved basically spinning each of our mental wheels separately and speaking two subjects together and trying to do like a, a pair of subjects and finding interactions between them. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Previously, uh, we came up with two concepts separately, sea and evil. <laughs> so this episode was almost about the combination of the two. But instead, uh, next week is about evil, and this week is about sea. That's kind of where we, we ended, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that makes more sense. Yeah, because it's Halloween. It's October. This is the time. <laughs> <laughs> and... We talked about death last week and evil next week, and to me, C fits perfectly in between both of those because it is the most terrifying place on Earth. <laughs> to me, is it? What, why? Why is that, Nick? Why is it so terrifying? I think because it's so unknown. Um, Fear of the unknown. It gets us again. Dark. Oh, and... Proving you're a human once more, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Oh. I hate thinking about being on top of it and knowing that there's just so much stuff below you. That's that's disgusting. But yet you love space. You're such a hypocrite. Oh, nothing's <laughs> below you in space. It's, everything no, is in every every no direction of you in space. Yeah. What are you talking about? And it's way more endless than the sea. I guess I don't have to fear about like space sea monsters, space monsters. So you know. fear biology. That's what the real answer is. I guess. Yeah. 
It's okay. Mother it's... Nature will take care of you, Nick. Don't worry. Mother Nature <laughs> will love you. Yeah, I'll become part of the circle of life in the sea. <laughs> I'm not ready to complete the circle yet. And now we will transform into brine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people do choose to die that way for keeping on point with all of our conversations. True. And, I mean, to throw back to an even older conversation, the scariest video game I've ever played is about the sea. <laughs> Which one's that one? Uh, Subnautica. It's all about deep sea exploration. Right. Uh, um, what did you, did you watch The Lighthouse? We have to talk about this film before we jump into this conversation. I mean, it's about the ocean. It's about a sea, some sea dogs. Is this the one where there's like two guys living in a lighthouse and some yeah. mysterious happenings happen? Yeah, it's a crossover between the original Spider-Man film and Twilight, if we go by oh. actors. <laughs> right, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was... It, you know what I loved about this film is that I felt like it represented what your fear of the sea is in that it's diving into the real madness and mindscape of humanity and how we we constantly try to to like romanticize everything and make everything great and sometimes it is but then like we're just living in these impulsive moments but we're we're always sort of hallucinating between what reality is and what our mental map of what we think reality is and could be is constantly rolling forward and it, it's like very dark, but not, but then it gets darker, but you don't really know what's happening all the time in the film. But what you do know is that there's like hardened seafaring uh, characters in the film that are, you just feel like they're always there and they can't die because they're just so like hardy and, and something about the sea makes you feel like that in order to survive on the sea, you have to to have that mindset and that physical capacity and, and that like drive to just do everything that's super tough and persevere through whatever something about the sea says that and this film captured all of it for me i don't know if you've even seen it yet you didn't even answer that but there you go that was my all right <laughs> i haven't seen it i think that was my synopsis of what you have told me about it before <laughs> okay. um but i i i agree with you uh, there's kind of something in our psyche collective psyche uh that people who've like survived the sea are like very hardened and i think that is all just because the sea is so scary <laughs> i mean like we're not we're not supposed to be there right and so for people to survive on the sea they have to adapt uh quite heavily uh whether that be life on a boat or you know living in the water or around water a lot um and so i think yeah, I think that's kind of what it comes from is there's just like this you've adapted quite a bit and endured a lot. But there are a lot of people that live their whole almost, most of their life on the sea and have lived most of their life on the sea in the past that have said that they felt weird being on land. They felt like they needed to be on sea to to feel normal, to feel home and to feel like comfortable. So, I think it is probably just your uh growing up in landlocked America that's speaking to this more so than people who grew up on the coast. Even in Norway, people always, they, they have to learn how to swim in school. It's a requirement mm -hmm. that they take swimming lessons in elementary school, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't know that. 
And some people never learn how to swim in the U.S. Well, a lot of people probably never learn how to swim, actually. It's true. But despite these people being more comfortable around or even on the sea, they cannot breathe underwater. <laughs> They're not supposed to be there. <laughs> the sea is terrible. <laughs> well, but humans are meant to use tools and you yeah, know, go okay, scuba diving sure. and learn how to hold their breath for <laughs> five and a half to 15 minutes. These some of these deep sea divers, the the what are they called when when you just hold free your breath? Diving? Yeah, yeah, free diving. Like it's incredible that you can. I know you can train the body to do almost anything. I mean, David Blaine has given some really interesting uh, interviews about how he trained his body to hold his breath for such a long time, and everything that he does, he's just a normal person who just pushes his body to the limit because of his mental capacities. I don't think that anybody else is incapable of doing what he does or has done. It's just a matter of perseverance. And I think these if you can train yourself to hold your breath that long and like you're always under the water for such a long time and getting used to being around the creatures there and being in that environment, it's no no different than getting used to being in an apartment all day or getting used to being in a in a video game all day or whatever work environment. You you adapt to that ecosystem and to that reality and that's awesome and i i think that we maybe do belong in the sea just only some of us just not me and you <laughs> yeah definitely not me uh, that's a that's a good point and i i guess i mean people do get very used to environments psychologically and um learn to navigate them really well and what the right things to do and wrong things to do are um so yeah definitely i i can imagine and people <laughs> getting used to that uh but it's it's still a place that humans do not tread easily yeah okay that's fair you will die if you're not careful or don't know what you're doing that's that's yes. for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess that's what it is too is the fear of death creeps in oh yeah yeah being deep underwater like that like knowing that if your tool your submarine broke like that you would just die instantly that's scary that's why it's so great that your boat's made out of wood in the past it's so <laughs> yeah. it's so beautiful and romanticized like the idea of getting on this wooden ship and knowing that no government or body of anything will even know where you are <laughs> for the next six months and you're just going to be out with on the sea with your seamates and discovering things and you're into the unknown at that point like when you had no idea what exactly was out there. There could just be new land masses or new animals, and you would never know what you're going to find. That sense of adventure mixed with the sea, I can really see how, how that would be appealing as opposed to staying into these terrible cities with all their other problems and inequalities mm -hmm. and whatever else. Like Just choosing a life on the ocean sounds like a pretty good idea, I'm sure, back in the day. That's why so many people did it. It's true. It's, it's definitely probably a freeing concept. Um it, speaking of the kind of idea of exploration, time on the sea is kind of interesting to think about because, like you said, you're, you're exploring in, back in the day. <laughs> you're exploring to find these new land masses and also to, like, maybe see new sea creatures or animals in the sea. But for the most part, like, the rest of the sea is, like, homogenous. And your your ship is, like, static. Like, it's it's the same environment you're in all the time. And so I wonder if there's like a kind of weird mindset adaptation where it's like while you're on the sea, you no longer have to like think about your environment or like 
micro navigation as much and somehow this could like change your psyche to turn more inwards or focus on different things i wonder if this is why people report these kind of like feelings of internal exploration and like almost meditation when they're out on the ocean like that yeah i mean there have been a lot of well there there have been some studies done about isolation that i think fall directly into this categorization of, of people that have isolated themselves in caves for mm-hmm. certain amounts of time after a cer- after too long it becomes a very negative effect but up to a certain point it's usually a positive effect and there's musicians who go off into the forest in a cabin and write an album over a month or two um i do think that the corona effect right now is is causing people who are having to stay in their apartment or in a confined space alone or with only a couple people are going through the exact same thing as being out on the ocean I also think it's crazy that we can look back to our grandparents' time of travel and you had to take a boat to go between countries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, flight was is a pretty recent invention. And the yeah. idea of... I mean, what is the what is the boat time from Europe? It was a... Well, what, from the... I mean, basically from the late 50s and sooner like every everything before the the late 50s ish because there was of course some overlap when you could choose to fly or take the boat for cheaper but um yeah at least that's from the people i've talked to that actually took boat voyages between countries it was was up until like 50s early 60s right and i mean that travel is still available i mean obviously you have the commercial boats but you can still take a cruise transatlantic cruise if you feel like it yeah but it's not it's it's a cruise not a it's it's not meant a to be look, it's meant to be luxurious it's not meant to get you from point a to point b as like a, a a ticket of moving your your entire life because before you wouldn't take the boat back because it would take three months to get there and you take everything with you but well usually i mean unless you were mm-hmm. going on like a, a year-long trip which some people did but like Hedda's grandma was always telling me about how she went to to Canada on a boat and then she was in Canada for a couple of months and then crossed the border into America uh, and was there for like three or four months before coming back. So it was basically a whole year of being gone from Norway to do all mm-hmm. of that and that there were, the only way to do it was to, to take the boat. It's pretty crazy. It is crazy to think about. It sounds fun. It sounds way more exciting than the life we have to think about now where where we have to think about buying a stupid plane ticket and then sitting in this confined space and like having horrible air pressure and knowing that you could die and all this other stuff that's coming along with flying. It's uncomfortable. It's expensive. And then just imagine if instead the only option was to take this boat and you would you would have three months on this boat to get to know all of these cool random people you've never met before. Uh, and like have all this time to yourself and have time outside sort of in nature, like looking around at the ocean and thinking about things that sounds way healthier than taking an airplane in my opinion, and probably very good for your, uh, mental capacities to learn and grow as a human. Yeah, it definitely seems better for the whole kind of like mindfulness and introspection and social aspect Though, I wonder if people had Facebook on their phones during boat travel today, whether that would change things. <laughs> um, but it also, I mean, from a 
other practical perspective, I mean, that slower travel definitely avoids some of the uh, jet lag effects <laughs> that we experience now, too. Yeah. Well, I can say firsthand that flying in shorter stints is much easier, and it would probably be similar to that. Like, usually I'll only fly a couple hours in time zone change at a time and then spend a day and then continue flying maybe three or four hours in time zone change and then spend a day there and everything just eases easily into place Mm -hmm. versus taking a huge flight at once, which I've done many times also, but it's so, so much better to just do these gradual jumps. You almost don't even know, notice the difference. And it's like an extra couple of days of travel. Um, so that, that's like a super expedited version of taking a boat, I guess. Yeah, true. True, true. So when was the last time you were on the sea? I mean, you're in Norway, so like this morning or something? <laughs> <laughs> it's way too cold here right now. It's We got hit with a, a huge cold front. I don't know exactly what happened, but it is like winter temperature all of a sudden. Just hard. It's going to be freezing temperatures in the next couple of days. So that was unexpected because it was really like 70, 80s the week before this. So global warming. Um, but it was the hottest, hottest summer on record ever in Norway as well, which is interesting. Um, but so I've been on the sea, I think, uh, two weeks ago I was on the boat, uh, the head of his family's boat we went out on the fjord actually. So it is the sea, but it's, a, it's a little bit different cause it's a lot warmer, um, because the fjord water doesn't have anywhere to go. So it just gets warmed up by the sun all day and it's really nice. It's maybe the nicest place you could go swimming is, which is strange because you're so far north. It's like saying you should go to the almost top of Canada and jump in the ocean. And like, (laughs) that's the equivalent of going swimming in the Norwegian fjords. But, um, well, you don't want to go on the ones on the other coasts. You only want to go the Oslo fjords because it's more inlet with the, how the temperature movements go. But yeah, I've been on the sea then and I maybe haven't taken any long trips on the sea or done too much for like five or 10 years, but I, I went snorkeling in Hawaii and did some other in Japan. I went swimming a few times in the ocean, but for the most part I have been on land. I think that's just because I grew up in Utah and I don't go actively seeking to get onto the ocean. It it usually falls into place, but living by the ocean helps, but I'm not, I'm never usually thinking about going straight to the ocean. But I romanticize about taking a, a wind sailing trip or learning how to go windsurfing or sailing or kiting. I was talking to mm. a, a friend about doing um, wake, is it wake kiting or, or kiteboarding or something when you have the a wakeboard on your feet, but then you have like a kite oh, pulling yeah. you around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that looks awesome. So anyway, that's I, I haven't been out that much, but I would like to go more. And I, I think it's a great escape from everything else in life have you been out on the ocean in the past 25 years nick (laughs) (laughs) um let's see so the last time i touched the ocean was last no nope that's that's not correct um february not this year but the previous year do you think that um you would want do you do you also romanticize about taking like a sort of extended sailing voyage or or learning how to like man your own ship and <laughs> sail it in life or um, is that is that not even on your radar? Uh, I don't 
I don't know if I think about it too much. I guess because of my landlocked nature, like my equivalent fantasy or something, which is less mobile, is like building a cabin in the woods, right? Like I'm going to go get the wood and I'm going to build this place for me to be isolated and it's going to be of my own creation and I'm going to be there. Maybe that's my equivalent fantasy. So confirmed, you are terrified of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I did get in it, though, in, back in February. I was at, in Hawaii, and I, I stepped into the ocean. <laughs> Bragging about that you took a step in the ocean. Yay! <laughs> All right. Utah. Um, but something fun about the ocean, about going into the ocean without using our bodies, is that you and I started this nonprofit a long time ago. I guess it wasn't that long ago, but... Um, where we were developing a, a an autonomous craft that would go to the Great Pacific Trash Pile and collect trash and then um, bring it back on shore to be recycled or burned or taken care of or buried in a landfill if necessary, whatever. We were, we were experimenting with that, and we actually built um, a prototype that worked pretty well. I mean, yeah. it was crudely 3D printed and, and like put together using our own means and microprocessors but it worked it was pretty awesome i loved uh, the first testing of that prototype on dry land where we just walked around with it and made sure the uh the propeller <laughs> oh, the gps on at the right side <laughs> yeah that was good that was like flying actually we were we were making a craft that could fly but that was fun though pick a gps a... target and just walk there using the boat to guide you <laughs> that was really cool you know what that's I think that, that making that project was more fun than most of the things I've made in my life just because it was so um, unknown. We were like literally at the edge of, because other people have made similar projects, but none of there's no streamlined way to do anything with that. It's all completely up to your own engineering and how you want to approach the problem from like a design of the craft down to the programming and an approach for how you want things to run or reset or last how long you want them to last, how you want to get energy. Like there's so many cool things that went into the equation of that engineering that was really fun to think about. Um, Yeah, that was really cool. And the thing that I really liked about this with the ocean was that I was trying to think about all the ways that the craft could make it uh, less dangerous to be out there. Like thinking about all of the hazards that would come and also Mm -hmm. like if anything went wrong, what's the what's the backup plan and the fail safe or like the design solution to make it so that wouldn't be an end game issue for the craft? So um, I had made it so that it could be on either side. It could flip over. There was no up or down as opposed to a lot of, for some reason, a lot of these other like challenges and college classes that tried to do this same thing, they would make a boat that had to have a right way up. And if it flipped over, that was the end. It, and I, that just seems so stupid when you're going to go as a small craft going onto the ocean for months at a time with nobody manning it, like, and minimal communication, then if it, of course it's going to flip over, there's going to be a storm with big waves and that's going to be the end. Um, so yeah, we like, we made it so it could reset itself and then it would go back to factory or the, like the, the beginning settings so that it would know how to navigate again if anything went wrong and tried to put in as many fail safes. I think that's great. That's like creating life for the ocean. You could say that we, we made a fish of our own. Yeah, yeah, digital fish. 
I th yeah, I do remember that. It was it was cool to think about all the kind of conditions or hazards it could encounter and try to create like fail safes for them, like recalibrations and uh, like state sensing. I remember we were talking about okay, well, if it's on like a relatively flat water versus like stormy seas and being able to detect that and kind of changing how the boat operated in those conditions. Yeah, because um, we had an accelerometer yeah. in there, right, to to deal with that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I think that more people should take on projects like this. I mean, we should do more projects like this again sometime. I, I love messing around with Arduino stuff and building things. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if we can just automate things that go on the seas so no people have to go there anymore, that's... <laughs> We're almost there. <laughs> <Should> be. <laughs> yeah, almost. I mean, mass transit would... Uh, like. Cargo cargo freight shipments. I don't understand how it's taken this long for them to become autonomous because there's so much money in that industry. It's a no-brainer to start building crafts for that, but the investment's quite large. But you'd think that Maersk or someone would have started doing it as like a side mission within their company already, but I guess they only care about burning gas. <laughs> yeah, I think it is also just because there's so many rules and regulations around port stuff that like if a craft arrives and you don't have anybody to like answer to the problem of like hey crafts here <laughs> at the port and we're like not ready to receive it or whatever um maybe that like creates issues and so i think people have been hesitant because of port regulations yeah but i mean you could still have a captain or like a minimal crew of two people because right now there's yeah. usually a crew of like 30 or 35 people from what i've oh, heard wow. so that's quite a big difference um yeah. and also those ships have, need maintenance constantly. Like every time they pull into port, something's going to go wrong and they, they have to be dotted up for the, the engine maintenance and all the mechanisms and oil and greasing it up and doing all that stuff to keep it up in shape as opposed to running an electric motor. It's just better. Right. The same argument of cars, really. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I heard that, um, yeah, Elon was thinking about extending into that after the trucking thing plays out so yeah i've seen some uh fun renderings of cyber boat or whatever you want to call it <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah I, I definitely think there's people thinking through that problem just like they're thinking of well i guess more autonomous planes i mean we've already implemented some of that but unmanned aircraft has been a thing for a while and the so fuel we'll i think the, the fuel is the even bigger thing yeah figuring out how we use what kinds of energy we use. So that's one of but, the interesting things about the ocean is there's so much energy available just like in the ocean. I mean, yeah. And if you think about the, the large scale uh, implications of that and what, how much energy and oxygen and everything else is coming out of the ocean. I mean, we would all be long dead if we didn't have the ocean because what, I can't remember the percentage, but most of the oxygen uh, in the air is coming from the ocean because of microorganisms in there, right, that are uh, mm -hmm. absorbing and, and putting it out. And then we've got, like, the food ecosystem is completely held up by the ocean in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah. like, I mean, the whole, like, land-water cycle, right? Like, a lot of this water comes from the ocean, rains down onto the land, and flows back into the ocean. Like, yeah. lack of ocean would be real bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's true. Water, water is very important for life, and 
I guess we don't think about the fact that the sea gets converted into drinkable water all the time <laughs> through rain. Um, what's that Which word funny that you learned think, in school? Because the nature can do like provide desalinated water so easy, right? Through this like water cycle, and like humans just right. like can't. It's just so inefficient for us. Like, why can't we um, do anything that animals can do and plants can do? Like, is photosynthesis so? Oh, why is photosynthesis Pandora's box, and why is yeah desalination Pandora's box? And it's just these very simple. Well, I mean, like they might they're hard to discover, but they must be simple in principle because they get done so rapidly and so widely spread that 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 it's like impossible for them not to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many implementations of desalination in nature, whether it's like natural processes like rain or like animals that do it. So it's just kind of funny that like we're still piping water from half the United States to feed Los Angeles. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah it's really bizarre it's i guess it's because we have our priorities messed up we're more worried about making profit and growing for growth in our own like what personal well-being most human beings seem to be more interested in this i should say let me correct myself than the other ones who are interested in uh solving engineering and physics problems utilizing research and um natural processes as the either inspiration or framework for for building out new innovation and and solutions that will help humanity there are very few people who care more about the latter it's true yeah and yeah everything is so cost driven right so it's like short term fixes or solutions will usually trump out um longer term harder ones that are more perfect Mm -hmm. yeah that's true because i guess when you get into an organization or a business if it's not set up to solve any of these goals from the beginning as its purpose it's very hard to shift the the culture and the the purpose of that company after it's already formed is it has a goal already and the culture within that business is striving to to commit to getting that goal so i think you really have to plan the business from scratch to make it work in the way you want it to and it's pretty easy case studies to just look at companies that exist right now and see that that model usually falls into place right yeah exactly um do you know how many species exist in the ocean no. <laughs> I mean, nobody does. No. That's kind of the fun part of the yeah, answer. I but, get it. <laughs> but there are uh, more species in the ocean by far than on land, apparently. And uh, just we'd, we haven't even discovered a fraction of them. We, we know, I think it, the figure is somewhere between like 2 and 4% or something of the ocean species are, ex- are supposed to have been found. At least a lot of them are living in the deep ocean and in other places uh, in the like expected number of species in the ocean is just extreme uh and we're constantly finding new new species it's just a different it's a different world to the point that we can't even comprehend how what life is like there from a i mean we we kind of know how the ecosystems work but most marine biologists that i've listened to seem to not 
really have a grasp on what all of the factors inside of the, the different species of the ecosystem in the ocean are. So if something gets pushed out of balance, it's really hard to say just how many things will go wrong because it's not, you, you can't just pin down one factor because it's so big and there's such a diverse range of life in it. Yeah, I mean, it's such a complex web. And it's also kind of funny that we're having such a hard time exploring and understanding it, considering like life on land is a relatively recent development in the scheme of like earth biology. <laughs> it's, so it's kind of like weird to imagine uh, that, you know, some creature crawled out of the sea, evolved into humans. And now we're trying to understand where we came from looking back at the sea just like what's going on in, in there like it's so confusing i also think the, the the hilarity and like the the beautifulness of thinking about a creature a single creature one just decided that instead of the ocean it was going to crawl like satan out onto the <laughs> ground and it's like on the beach suddenly it has like the leg flippers and it's crawling and it decided it is now the land creature and somehow it decided to propagate on land who the hell knows how that happened but uh <laughs> <laughs> then more creatures came about. I just, I, I like that we describe it like that as if a single creature yeah, crawled a, out of the ocean a, onto the land. <laughs> like the singular <laughs> creepy animals like, mm, I don't want to be in this place anymore. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> and it's uh, all alone. That's the best part. I just imagine this film just watching this little thing like flop itself by itself <laughs> up onto the ground. And it's the only thing that's ever existed as like a, a, a living being that's not a plant on land. <laughs> It's it's kind of weird to think too that some creatures, uh, looking if we uh, looking back at evolution, uh, it seems like some creatures came out onto land, had their some whole like land life cycle, and then decided to evolve back into being ocean creatures. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like there's some of them. I think like whales. I think fall in that category, for example. But like thinking about an animal like coming back out and just being like, no, this place isn't fun, and just crawling right back into the ocean, <laughs> like. Or they were really confused about where and what they wanted to be. So then we've got like the flying fish and we've got toads and weird animals that are amphibians that are in and out. They don't really know where they'd rather be. They can both breathe in water and out of water. I think that's awesome. I don't understand why we haven't figured that out either. Like how to how to cut some gills into our neck so we can just choose to breathe water or not. Yeah, that seems like it would be useful actual some useful biological hacking if you want to take CRISPR and do something weird how many people do you think would choose to move to the oceans like if they could like live in them yeah because think about it you could just uh if you can breathe underwater then you can just make this like submerged house and city that is doesn't need oxygen and anything pumped into it because you're just breathing in there and you could just eat seafood there and you that's it I mean, you could just live in the ocean instead. That sounds kind of appealing, to be honest. It's true. Um, that's a good question. I mean, the the infrastructure, I guess, is what's missing, right? Like, going into the grocery store would suck if you lived in the ocean. But maybe you don't go as often because you just eat sea creatures. But Pooping like would be easy. <laughs> that's the equivalent of saying, because I live on the grasslands, I don't have to go to the grocery store because bison, like, walk into my house. Probably doesn't happen as often as you'd think. Though the ocean has a lot more life. So maybe, maybe it's yeah. possible. I'm sure that there are people who are pretty good at like spearfishing or doing whatever that could just make it work depending on where you lived. If you're on living on a coast or something, I'm sure it'd be fine. And I like th thinking about like property values, like, oh, you live near the reef. So that's like, 
That's a good ocean house, but... <laughs> It'd be so much cheaper, though, in the beginning, I think, because there's so much ocean, you know? Like, even if you live right off the coast of Miami or wherever, you could probably get it. Who's going to sell you that land anyway? <laughs> it's not land. It's like, is it a depth? Do you own this, this quadrant at, at this depth? You, sir, are only supposed to be at... 29 meters down not 32 meters down that's frank's lot <laughs> yeah i like the idea of three-dimensional i guess plot land plots you have like floating houses i, I guess it's kind of weird I've, I've never really thought about it i mean you obviously have like countries oceans right like every country has this like uh, border where it's like a uh, certain number of miles or uh, distance from the coast is that country's but is it like state ownership then like the uh, u.s federal government owns the oceans around the u.s like or is it somehow what what does that mean <laughs> usually there's international international uh like there's a word for it sea law so i'm gonna call it i can't remember what the official name is but um they they draw borders between everything there's lots of conflict zones and you can kind of contest if you think that you own certain parts of the ocean for fishing and doing everything else versus another country. But there is an organization that makes the law about where the border is. And you're supposed to respect that. But obviously like the, right. The, there are certain seas and different in-between zones that are highly contested where two countries both say that they own it. And then the international line is somewhere in between, but they don't, both of them don't respect that line, etc. Um, there's a big thing with with Russian submarines going into the seas that they don't own or the the coastlines they right. don't own around Norway and Finland and wherever else. I guess what I mean though is the kind of conversion of that state ownership into like private ownership if we did develop sea housing and people could live in the ocean or whatever or like floating cities like the private people have to buy that land back from the government to like create a floating city. And like that's usually how the... It's usually how it works, right? Like uh, the government decides how much of the land can be sold to the public and then they, they sell it off and it will never again be owned by the government, which is crazy. So. Yeah. And then like, what about floating? Like, would anybody stop you from building a floating city in like uncontested or like neutral waters? Hmm. I mean, there are, this is actually a really fun thought because there are micro nations that exist that are floating on the ocean. Uh, some of the, some have been off of the coastline just outside of the, the international waterline. Um, there was one outside of, uh, in, in the UK that existed and they actually had their own passport and they were recognized by the, uh, government in the UK and, and other governments because they had enough members and they had their own passport and they had there's floating land. Uh, and there was a really crazy story. I read this magazine about micronations. Um, and eventually, uh, I guess they got raided by this helicopter team with like machine guns and they captured all the people on, on that to try to steal it from them. And there was this big controversy. So it was a nation and it got invaded and it was just floating in the ocean. Uh, like I think it was three or five miles off of the coast or something so that's kind of fascinating that that has happened already <laughs> huh okay and i guess uh that nation didn't have a 
I don't know. They had made some enemies or something. Yeah, I, like you'll you can look this up. It's all it has lots of depth on Wikipedia, and I can't remember exactly what it's called, unfortunately. Uh, but basically, they they had an enemy. The guy that started it had an enemy with somebody else on land, and uh, the 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 guy's son took it over at some point, and then they got invaded, and he got captured or something. But eventually, he got it back. I can't remember how it all ended, but it, this was all in the 60s and 70s, so um, it's kind of been long gone and one and done now because the people that cared about that whole micronation aren't really uh, around pushing forward anymore, mm. which is also a bit exciting. It, it was sort of a a one-time new nation in a modern, uh, in a contemporary time which doesn't mm-hmm. happen very often, to my knowledge, unless there's stuff like this popping up all over in the world and in developing countries I don't know about. But <laughs> I mean, probably not. Sounds hard, to be honest. But uh, that's a that's a pretty cool concept, and maybe we'll see more of it as like tech develops that would allow people to harvest energy from the ocean better, or you know, get delivery of like goods and services more easily floating nations maybe we'll maybe we'll see a resurgence i hope it happens i thought you were just going to say once tech develops that allows us to uh form our own micro nations easier and our own governments that would be great you just kind of apply (laughs) to the government using your phone that you're going to have a new micro nation and this this part of the ocean is mine and i'm going to be here but of course you're sort of responsible for me because i came from you so um (laughs) dual citizenship and this is where I live now, in the ocean. I, I would reason, be all over it. <laughs> for some reason, I just, like, my head conjured this, like, image of, like, an app that just, like, facilitates this process for you, like UberGov or something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. It sounded great. Just, you open an app, and then you just apply, and once once you get approved, you have to move there. And then you have to pay, like, less tax back to where you came from in order for them to be responsible for you in their international waters or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> sounds better yeah, than gonna... whatever we're living in now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to take this time to say that's officially my new startup, UberGov. <laughs> UberGov. Micronation Builder. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what we should call it. That's our next app. The the the. I mean, there are so many micronations too. Sorry, this is a little off topic, but it's just such a fun conversation point. I've read a lot about micronations because I find them really cool. There's a guy in Germany who's been claiming he started his own micronation for years, and he has a bunch of uh, members. You can buy a passport there. I think he, he has like 80,000 um, citizens of his micronation, but he's he's not officially recognized by the the German government yet, so he's kind of stealing from them because he doesn't pay taxes. It's really fascinating. I love it. Um <laughs> But when you're on the ocean, you're a way more free game to do whatever you want because nobody's going to take a boat out there and punish you. <laughs> right. It's just a lawless place. The, the ocean is the new Wild West or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It was, the, it was in the beginning and it is again now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I guess part of the consequences of that are exactly some of the things we've talked about, like the garbage patch, right? Like it's nobody's responsibility because it's out in the ocean. So it's just like, it's there and it's existing. That's true. Um, and and similarly, like the, uh, the lost cargo stuff, that was a, that was a fascinating thing for me to discover 
was this the concept lego of, ships uh, crashing everywhere and all of the yeah. tvs and vcrs from 1992 sinking to the bottom of the ocean yeah, are are not sinking because a lot of containers are are, are waterproof uh, to some yeah. extent, and so they'll float for a long time. I think the, there's supposed to be over a million of them floating like ten feet under the surface of the ocean, which is scary and weird. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is crazy, but it's so weird to think that there's like people whose like occupation is like treasure hunting, basically, and they go find these containers and haul them up onto their ships and pop them open and see what their payday is. So they're effectively like reclaiming goods that have been lost to the sea. It's a that that's a job <laughs> if you if you're looking for something new to do. Yeah, most of the time you're gonna get complete trashed though. <laughs> most of the stuff being shipped has just been like time sensitive technological nonsense, uh, and unless you find Legos, you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i imagine just like opening crates of like just like useless plastic toys and i don't know i, I it's spoiled oh it's such a disgusting thought to think that we've just been consuming plastic molded trash for so many years and that it's anything that that existed like 10 years ago on one of these in these containers we would just think about as completely useless and, and stuff we wouldn't want now that's oh that gives you the worst feeling as a human being it feels like we're just purposefully ruining everything the ocean yeah, is being it, um destroyed on purpose it's really bad but i think our our more devastating impact on the ocean is actually the uh like microplastics and kind of like other less discernible waste um that comes from other processes whether it be like microplastics that wash off from clothes that we have and get washed into water and then washed down to the ocean or wherever they come from. Um, I think that's probably one of the more, maybe more impactful components. Yeah. And forget about the whole climate change aspect. Yeah. For, forget about just the ocean. I mean, they're in our bodies. Everyone has microplastics in their bodies now. I think that's weird and so terrifying. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like, like that it either. at all. I don't like that if you if you drank from plastic water bottles for what was like 10 years versus not you you had like some 300 fold as as much microplastics as if you didn't as a few studies have, have found that is whoa that makes you never want to look at a plastic bottle again. <laughs> Seriously. I'd much rather all these micro metals in my body much tastier much more I mean, useful <laughs> yes yes yeah and yes. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> your body knows how to do something with those it has no idea what to do with polymer chains that are <laughs> synthetic it's never seen those before how do i turn this into something useful and nutritious for health that's where we need symbiosis with those uh, plastic eating organisms that's the next step of human evolution yeah I've, i don't know that whole thing was also the idea of using that as a solution is just bizarre because if you made enough of those and they're eating all the plastic, I just feel like they're going to eat everything. <laughs> yeah, what's that story where it's like the person swallowed a spider, so they put a no, cat in after no, it or whatever? Nick. It's an old, like, it's an old, uh, I don't know the right word, not fairy tale. It's a story. It's I a let book. that pass because it's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like the, that first sentence. <laughs> 
<laughs> it um, gets crazier. Do you do you think about like do you have dreams about being in the ocean or like drinking the ocean or being endlessly lost in the ocean or running into some crazy creature? Do you become a creature? Do you ever dream about this? Um, I dream of standing on the shore <laughs> and looking out over the ocean. Um, which to me always has this kind of like aura of like hopefulness and like forward thinking future direction stuff around it. Um, I've also dreamed of, of drowning. <laughs> those are scarier <laughs> dreams. Yeah. Um, I guess that's happened to me a few times too. Yeah. I would say those are kind of like my two categories of ocean dreaming. What about you? Um, I do have memories of certain dreams throughout the years. I know once I was on a, a white sailing ship for a really long time with one other person. Um, and I've definitely been falling in the ocean, which is quite interesting. Um, one of my friends, friends told me that she had this repeating dream that she had like 50 times or something where she was on this wooden ship and this huge creature would come out of the sea and crack it in half and eat everyone. I thought that was awesome. Well, I wish I had that dream every time. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, <laughs> but I think that the, the kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is the subconscious can usually tell a lot about what you're needing in life or what's, what's good for you in life. And uh, there have been a lot of other good studies done about being close to the ocean, making people happier or feeling um, like they have more direction and control in life. So I think there are lots of positive aspects to being by the ocean. And there's a lot of reasons why humans have been by the ocean or want to live by the ocean. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if the ocean is like so ingrained in our kind of like subconscious that it that it has some positive effects like that because i mean we, we there's been all sorts of studies that show that like time in nature and stuff is useful um and it helps people mental clarity and creative problem solving and happiness um, but i wonder if there's like special benefits beyond just being in nature uh, by being next to the sea and kind of like almost this like return to home because i mean like or at least near bodies of water because of they've they've so long been such a necessity for survival um, that I wonder if there's something special, I guess, about being next to them. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that we have a lot of deeply ingrained elements of our development and being hunters and gatherers and wanderers and then uh, suddenly moving into living by coastlines uh, because of trade or whatever else. And there's a relationship with your environment that develops that's a, harder to put a finger on than we might imagine. And I, I, there must be a lot of psychological elements that play into that. But I, I think that it's romanticized to be by the ocean and everybody wants to go on vacation by the ocean. There must be a reason for that. There must be something deeper about our species that has a connection to the ocean than we realize. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, have you ever been, or maybe it's, would you want to 
like would you go in a, a, a watercraft that goes like deep in the ocean like submarine or like whatever james cameron's deep what what was it called deep force or something <laughs> what would For you some reason go I, into... <laughs> I was thinking james cameron was a chef because i was thinking of uh, james gordon and i mixed them up because i'm dyslexic or something and i just imagined james gordon like going into a submarine and he goes and he gets all of your fresh fish he just gathers it in his deep sea submarine and brings it back to his special floating restaurant or something and i thought this was a real thing maybe it was a tv reality show he's probably like screaming at people the whole time while he's doing this there's knives shooting out of his submarine to get the fish and he's screaming about it and he's coming up and he's getting mad at everyone because they've been sitting there complaining they're impatient he's been getting the fresh food james gordon Okay. <laughs> um, yes, to answer your question, I would 100% take a deep sea submarine. I have wanted to do that for a long time. In fact, I think any opportunity that comes up in life where you can do something so unique and special, you should 100% do it. You should always say yes to those opportunities because they're, they're once in a lifetime usually, and th- there's such a cool thing that will change your mindset. I, I equate that to like, People saying that you should do special kinds of hallucinogens because it alters the chemical makeup of your your mindset and kind of refreshes your life and gives you new purpose. I think lots of other things can do that in the same way. This is like one of those things. I think if you experience that, it'd be the same as going into space um, or the same as getting a divorce or like switching career <laughs> paths. I know that's kind of, uh-huh, that sounds right. kind of funny, but I like, what what, yeah, like um, Frank Gehry got a, he had this like, catastrophic divorce and that's when he decided to, to become an architect and make all this new style of building and now he's quite famous for everything that he does with this stylistic change but that was basically only put into motion because he had a horrible divorce got depressed and then came out on the other side to do this new thing so i guess my, my point is like yeah change and do these things ikigai as the word is in japanese find your new calling and uh, an interest in just switch to that completely and wholeheartedly instead of trying to stick to the thing that you feel like you have to do over and over again to define or get by or whatever. So yes, I would do it if I could. I probably could if I pursued it. I just haven't thought about it. Yeah, would I you do how it, hard Nick? it would be to get onto something like that. I mean, a, a submarine ride at least seems possible. Challenger Deep or whatever maybe might be harder to score. But you could probably do it. Well, if you have um, money, to, I'm sure you could do it, but... <laughs> also that, yeah. Uh, to answer your question, um, I would do it because of the points you just said, but I absolutely would not. It would Want terrify to? me. Like, it, just thinking <laughs> about it right now is making me nervous. Like, I could that, feel my heart beating. See, that makes me feel like you should do it even more. Like, when you, when you feel this <laughs> rush, this challenge that says, like, don't do this, but it's something that could potentially be really eye-opening, that's just even more reason to dig deep and do it. Um, I think that's what makes great human beings awesome. Is they do that when they that when it's really hard, they don't give in and say no. True, true. That, I mean, staying outside your comfort zone is probably like the healthiest thing to do. Is I like, just think about people that can do it. Yeah, think about people that went swimming with sharks the first time. A normal person thinking about swimming with sharks purposefully, just diving into the open ocean with a bunch of sharks around with no protection and they would never do that so somebody at some point decided that it was no big deal and they're just creatures and they just started doing it and they just continue 
continually do it and lots of other people do it too and they they really have probably had to dig deep and get over that initial fear to start doing it and uh understand the implications of what they were doing and and uh change who they were to make it make it work yeah i think that's great so please find me a deep sea uh trip i also want to take a liner to go to antarctica at some point so i can get to all seven continents eight continents how many continents are there my dream destination that's my goal really yeah we should go together we should i actually have uh i i laid out a plan to write a proposal to be able to ride along on a scientific voyage that i i've been thinking about uh sending out to a few teams if you want to apply and uh, yeah i mean there's the whole um i don't know if yours would include like the actual like uh going and like living there for a while versus just like a a trip there because they they do both right um i actually went i would enjoy some time in the bunker (laughs) yeah in fact i um went to uh an open lecture and forum at the architecture association in london where they had a a feature of the architects that designed the bases in antarctica um, both the old ones and the new ones and they gave a complete historical record of all of the past bases that had been built and they talked about like what some of the challenges were with with building the the, the buildings out there 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 are two brand new facilities one from uh, america and one from britain that are just really really cool now and they, they look like awesome places to go live for a while and they're designed in such a way that you have like your compartmented space so that you feel like you can have your own area but also you go out and uh, mingle with people every day and you can't really like go out out too often um but they they have some modules that can stick together in different ways the american base just has a bunch of different buildings and like it's very american with huge facilities and lots of space the british one is like very uh, purposeful and tightly compact and modular and it has these like bubble rooms in it and stuff it, it looks quite a bit better i think but um yeah it's really cool i would love to stay there that sounds great plus imagine the the ocean travel to get there uh, that would be interesting i mean that's that i think that's the real joy of the trip yeah it's just seeing what you see out there you probably see some huge albatross and a lot of wildlife you'd never see um, it would have to be really cold, and I'm sure that that would change your perception of what uh, extreme conditions are. This is something else really fun: is that living somewhere else or, or being in an environment that's uncomfortable for you for a month or two suddenly makes your your level of what you consider to be comfortable just way lower than it was before. Oh yeah, for sure. I I've noticed this effect in reverse um, because of the like work from home covid stuff like i'm just mm-hmm. in my house all the time and i have air conditioning and it's just like my house deviates from 70 degrees by only like one degree up or down throughout the entire day and now if i'm like in any room that's like hotter or colder than that i like feel it it's so noticeable <laughs> it's really, really sad that's a really really great and extreme example i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> And this I is also, even with, like, I'm an outdoorsy person. Like, I hang out outside a lot, but still, like, this, like, home, like, my perception of what an internal temperature, like, a house temperature is supposed to be is just, like, flawed now. Yeah, I also feel, I, I own a lot of plants, um, 
like my whole living room area and kitchen is just covered in plants. It looks like you're in a, a little jungle or something. And I, I feel like that makes me more comfortable and in, improves my mindset and my well-being. And then I go out into these other spaces, these other environments. And anytime I see a plastic plant now, it just makes me want to die. Like I think that the worst thing we have ever made as a species is plastic plants. They're not only hypocritical, but that they are ruining the environment. They're giving you a false sense of comfort and uh, they're bad for you. They're not improving uh, the air. There's just everything is bad about them and, and they're lying to you. So just as another example, like that, that feels like torture to me now to just be in a room of plastic plants because you can smell it and you, you just feel like you're dying. My, my <laughs> one of my Japanese friends moved into this new apartment complex and in the, in the entry room is just every wall these are like 15 foot ceilings and every single wall completely covered is just plastic plants and it smells like you're walking into the fake factory and i I just smell it now i can feel it yeah yeah, it had the exact opposite uh effect that they were trying to to get because they were too lazy to put in a watering system or whatever much better if there were no plants in there than a bunch of plastic but yeah, that's another, I guess, just these examples of, of uh, how comfortable you and I are that we're complaining about plants and temp- temperature differences of one degree. Uh, <laughs> so we really need to go to Antarctica so we can see what cold actually is. <laughs> yeah, I want to feel it. There are um, also, I always think that the barrier of how you can push your your body in conditions, like jumping into cold water, for example, Um, cause you have to do this in the Norwegian military and my, my girlfriend's brother, um, is, has been in the Norwegian military and he told me that they would jump into these like frigid cold lakes in the middle of winter in Norway, like just almost frozen lakes. Uh, and it was just mind over matter every time. Cause you you knew you could warm up and that, that was the whole conditioning they give you is that everything is fine. As long as you just keep your mindset that you're you're going to get warm after and like your body won't go into hypothermia if you're not in there for too long so you're just gonna go in and you're gonna experience it and feel something uncomfortable and you're gonna come out and then everything will slowly get better and feel really really good as you're getting warmer um and it's not it's not such a big deal it's just a, a mental capacity to understand that environment so you don't gotta be afraid of the ocean (laughs) (laughs) yeah we actually had to do a similar thing uh oddly enough for boy scouts uh they called it the polar swim or something and we'd go jump in frozen lakes here in utah in winter and do. i remember i skipped that swimming test yeah i remember i skipped (laughs) that yeah when i i was was in scouts did you go do it yeah i did it's 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 definitely surreal like immersing yourself in cold water because it's again feels like wrong like your body's like first reaction is like does not want to be in here um and well because it knows you're gonna die very soon right (laughs) yeah and i think so concerning is the feeling of feeling your the muscles that are responsible for breathing those like tighten up because your ab like your abs like the muscles in between your ribs just like get so cold it's hard to operate them and i think that's to me was the kind of like scariest feeling like it takes I, your breath away, but not in just the like, Ooh, I'm shocked. Cause it's cold, but like a literally like it's hard to breathe kind of way. Yeah. I, I went into a rabbit hole, um, about this, finding people that can handle being in these cold, uh, waters for a long time. And 
I think there must be something a little bit deeper that we don't understand with physics about being able to control the matter or the composition in your body with your mind than than what we actually think is possible because there are a lot of uh, the people that could be in these temperatures to the point where they should have gotten hypothermia, like 15 minutes mm-hmm. without moving in uh, like basically frozen uh, water. And the, the, what they would do is just think about the sun and warmth and they would basically mm-hmm. just meditate uh right. and they, they would make their their mind would they would convince themselves to to know that the they were being heated by the sun and that everything was warm in their body and then they could just sit there as if there was no external temperature doing anything to them and i think that if your mind can do that that's proof enough that uh, your your mind is capable of pushing your body to way more extreme levels and to, to do a lot more than you ever think is possible. And we're just living with the immediate um, primal fear reaction. But we're supposed to be better than that. That's why we're homo sapiens, everyone. You need to, <laughs> you need to step up your game. Your mindset is supposed to overcome your, your primal fears. <laughs> I, I do think um, people can train themselves like that. I think part of the problem is that so many people who die of hypothermia aren't aware that they're dying of hypothermia or it kind of comes on unexpectedly because they end up in a situation that's like worse than they thought. Um, and the body goes through some strange like mindset changes <laughs> usually um, and like sensational changes that make it hard to think clearly. And so if you're not aware of that kind of like mental training that you should be doing uh, to avoid those effects, then you can succumb to them pretty quickly. I've actually been really fascinated with the concept of hypothermia and kind of like the experience somebody goes through um, as hypothermia sets in. Uh, I read this really cool story (laughs) about it um, that was kind of told from this first person perspective of a guy who was driving in a Jeep and was trying to meet his friends at a cabin and his Jeep broke down. And so he tried to hike the rest of the way to the cabin and kind of all the like things that happened to him, the progression of events. And I ended up writing a song about it. Um, I made this whole song that was supposed to capture the feeling of hypothermia and the different like states uh, that your body goes through. Um, Did you write it in an ice bath? (laughs) I probably should have. Uh, I should have like done a more immersive experience. It's really hard to keep up with the BPM when you're in an ice bath though. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Did you did you feel like that uh, creative outlet made you feel different about yourself or what that uh, experience meant to you of hypothermia? Yeah, I guess to me, like writing that music gave me this like very, I guess like respect for the cold, but also this like weird want to like be in it and face it like as a challenge, you know? And so I think mm-hmm. it's um, kind of driven me to spend more time uh, outdoors in the snow and like participating, I guess, in winter uh, just because it was, yeah, motivating. It is really amazing how you can just decide you're going to have a different mindset and tell yourself what the positive aspects of changing this mindset are. And then everything can be flipped 100%. And you, the more often that you do this, the better off you're going to be and the quicker you're going to learn and have new opportunities in life from my experience. So um, I, I went through the same thing. I hated going 
swimming in the ocean because uh, I had surgery on my ears when I was a kid and they still um, like will get water kept in for a while and I can have some problems from that if it's too too much. So I had this fear of swimming in the ocean growing up um, from having extreme ear infections and swimmer's ear and stuff. But then um, things got a bit better and like it's not it's not a big deal anymore, but I still have that same innate fear and I also hate being cold so both of those things together just really made me not want to go swimming in the ocean when it's cold um but I decided that I was going to just jump in the ocean once a day uh this last summer for a a couple weeks just to see what that would do to my mindset and how that would make me feel and Mm -hmm. just after the first few days it was like every time that I did it I felt so alive. I mean, your limbic system really uh, fires up and you change your uh, energy levels and like your motivation levels when you're either really cold or really hot. Like that's why being in the sauna is supposed to be really good and uh, taking ice baths or going and doing something really cold. It's it's supposed to both increase the longevity of of your overall lifespan um, and also supposed to be really good to refresh and um, push through some of the... I forget exactly how what changes in your body composition, but something that goes through and like sweeps out all of the these bad um, elements that need that need mm-hmm. to be updated in your body. So you you want to be really cold or you want to be really hot for periods of of a time, um, and that really felt refreshing to me in so many ways, and it made me feel alive and like just I could refocus again in a way I couldn't, as opposed to being comfortable at home. Uh, just working and not even if you're exercising or doing other stuff I think that this is a different kind of thing making your whole body really cold uh, for an amount of time makes you realize you're a, a, a living being again you you get out of this homeostasis loop <laughs> yeah yeah I definitely agree and I think that's the point of kind of putting yourself into uncomfortable environments like extreme cold like in the snow or jumping into lakes or being in the ocean which is <laughs> i think its own extreme environment even if it's not a cold ocean yeah um, you have to want it to to want to do it i think i i, I also find it fascinating yet yeah, that so many people want to go do that for fun and other people be in the ocean or like be in the cold ocean like they want to go do it in the winter or they want to go do it in the fall when it's really uncomfortable sure. yeah um on purpose yeah you have to want to do it on purpose and you have to want to do that because it forces you to be doing this new thing and a new get a new mindset and to push yourself right why else would you be doing it (laughs) yeah exactly um i definitely think it's healthy to like face challenges like that and it's good that i guess enough people want to do it that they seek it out yeah um one of the most famous modern um karate uh, masters was uh, Gichin Funakoshi and he talks about in his biography that he uh, would only eat cold meals in the winter and hot meals in the summer so that uh, he would mm-hmm. never like be pushing Counter into this the environment yeah he's always pushing to this mode of comfort and he, he would do the same thing with showers as well and um, I think that probably was really useful to, to keep you on your toes and not get too comfortable yeah, definitely. I I try to take periodic cold showers for this reason. This I don't I don't do it as often as I used to. Um, 
but I think it's good, I guess, to remind yourself too of like some of the comforts we get used to. I think it's the same reason that it's probably healthy to try fasting sometimes mm-hmm. um, and try living without some of these like creature comforts that we've become really accustomed to. Yeah. I love doing intermittent fasting. Uh, I do it quite often. Just, I don't know, after a couple hours, you realize you don't even need or care about eating anymore and it's fine. Yeah. And then you, f- you feel better after you eat. I, I, I think it really refreshes your mind and your body for sure. Yeah, definitely. I hated doing those really cold showers uh in japan all of the sentos and bathhouses have these um freezing cold baths and like freezing cold uh rain areas where you just like pull this lever and a whole bunch of just frigid cold water falls on your head and everybody in there that's all these uh japanese dudes are just walking around in the hot baths and they'll just walk over the cold stuff and just like pour it all on and they're acting like nothing is happening like they, they don't have goosebumps or anything and they just they go sit in this cold bath for five minutes straight and then they get out and they go get in the hot ones again and it they just act like nothing's happening like it's it looks comfortable for them and i'm cringing inside every time i see these cold baths i hate it i don't want to go in there but um every time i force myself to do it i hate while it's happening but after i feel so much better it's weird right yeah exactly so we've talked a little bit about the sea being a source of challenge, um, but I think a lot of people use it as a source of kind of like tranquility as well. I mean, think about all the like meditation apps that play like sounds of the ocean as you fall asleep and um, people thinking about like the rocking motion of the ocean being something that's like really comforting. Um, do you find comfort in the sea, the ocean? I think uh, this comes back to the, yeah, it comes back to the point of wanting to to live by the ocean. There's something about being close to the ocean, but not necessarily being in it. That, um, yeah, I find that I find that very comforting. I I mean, I can look out the window and see the ocean right now from where I live, and I really enjoy waking up to that. It, and you can smell the fresh, free air, uh, sea mm-hmm. air, and. Um, you hear seagulls outside and there's just something about that that feels maybe like you're on the edge of adventure that might be it you you feel like you're not locked in by anything you just have this endless land uh seascape that's unknown in front of you and you don't know like certain boats are coming in you see different um ships moving around all the time i, I just find that really fun and refreshing and um makes me feel adventurous yeah yeah i get that that makes sense but you huh. you don't live by the ocean, so... Um, no, I don't get this experience. Are you missing that in your life when you wake up in your house and look out your window at a strip mall? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess so. I mean, I guess my equivalent... Well, Norway is kind of special because you can probably look the other direction and see some beautiful mountains. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess the advantage is that I get to look at mountains, uh, which also feel, I guess, have that kind of like aura of adventure around them mm-hmm. and kind of like ability to explore. Um, though I definitely think the sea is more wild than the mountains. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are, they are fun, different distinctions, aren't they? Um, I, I always take the mountains for granted when I've been in Utah for a long time. And every time I go back and realize how close you are to all of them and how, how you can see them in every direction, it's actually really cool, but you forget about it really fast when you're living there it just becomes yeah. second nature. 
Yeah, exactly. They just kind of feel like this backdrop. And that's been one of the things that's been interesting for me to try to change about my lifestyle (laughs) is like purposely make this change to like appreciate the environment around me more and realize like what great access I have to these things that I've taken for granted, but so many people come here to appreciate. And I guess the people in Norway maybe feel similar. A lot of them probably just like live near the ocean and don't really think about it too much, but it's kind of an incredible place. I think this is one of the few countries where the exact opposite is true. Um, that this is this is one of the few places where I feel like everybody gets out into nature or goes out on the ocean or goes on hikes or moves around into nature, uh, and they they know more about it than the tourists and they do it more often than the tourists. Whereas the complete opposite is true in most other places, like what you're talking about. Um, yeah, in Utah or any big city in particular. Um, Usually you live there and you, you you don't go seek out to do these things or go out into nature or find new things uh, like art exhibits or exciting things happening in the community or whatever. It's really hard to to add that into your daily routine when you don't feel like you're on vacation or you don't feel like you have the freedom to do it. But um, it's super nice to do. And I think the more that you do it, the better. I always do this now when I go to whatever city I'm living in. I, I like try to go out of my way to find interesting cultural things or um nature adventures to go do because it's it's definitely worthwhile you don't have to travel to new city to do that you can just do it in your backyard (laughs) yeah definitely especially when you live near something as vast as the sea yeah i almost bought a folding kayak uh to just take out every morning because i could i could i get to kayak out to an island and eat breakfast every day and i feel like that would be awesome you should do that. I bought an inflatable kayak recently to take on like rivers and lakes, and it's been a great investment. I've been using that a lot. Nice. Um, how does the inflatable one work? Because the one I was looking at is foldable. It's a or- origami from the Oro kayaks. I just liked it because I can fold it up and carry it and put it in my storage room. But yeah, the inflatable one. Get. I mean, obviously, there's different sizes. Um, I have a three-person kayak, which probably really only feasibly fits two adults um but it's it's i don't know it's probably about 30 i think they say it's like 30 pounds or whatever um which 60 kilograms something but it fits into like a small i don't know how to describe it it's about the size of my like torso (laughs) the bag and i can pull it out and inflate it with like the foot pump that's in the bag in maybe about five to ten minutes and then you're just kayaking suddenly um yeah it's, and it seems pretty durable it flows is it well, made it goes pretty fast it's is it made for like mostly calm waters or because i know that that it changes quite drastically when you want to go in the ocean in the wind um like some of the ones i was looking at yeah i mean it is made for sea kayaking in fact the name of the company is sea eagle <laughs> um but uh yeah I, I guess i don't know like how like how tip proof it is relative to other kayaks um but it feels really stable and it has like a bilge drain on it so if you get water in it it'll drain out hmm that's pretty awesome i um yeah i didn't think that they had inflatable ones that were that light most of the ones i was looking at were like 45 and 50 pounds and they're huge and yeah i don't know it's it's a lot i want something very lightweight and simple that i can put together quickly and it seems every kayak has a its own drawbacks which is unfortunate yeah but i think the downside of the inflatable one is the basic requirements to like dry it after use because if yeah. you like 
if it's wet and you roll it back up, it just gets disgusting. But. Yeah, that's how the inflatable one is, or the the origami one. Apparently, you need to like leave it upside down, unfolded for the water to run out of the interior plastic walls, which I thought was terrible. They should have sealed those off. I don't understand why they would, but um, yeah, I w- I really want to do that. I I want to take some kayaking lessons and. It just seems nice to get out on your own craft and get a workout from doing it. Did you do you feel like it's a good good workout alternative? Oh, for sure. In fact, my shoulders are still kind of sore from kayaking like a couple days ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it definitely is even gives you some like back workout too. Nice. Are you going up to lakes or rivers or where do you go? Yeah, there's some like reservoirs near here um, that we've gone on. Uh, we. We're preparing to do our first river one here soon. So, yeah, we're just exploring. We're both scared of water, so it's kind of a funny hobby for us to take up. But Was this what you and Brianne are doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. That that sounds awesome, though. I, I also thought about buying a tandem kayak, but I don't think... I don't know if I could convince Hedda to go out with me as often as I would want to go. Because I feel like if I'm going to invest in a kayak, I'm going to go like at least three to five times a week. And go out on the ocean because I can literally just walk downstairs and put the kayak in, into the ocean and leave, which is amazing. And I would feel like I can't waste the opportunity, but now it's getting cold and I don't know if it's worth it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you should do it and you should just like see how your mindset changes if you go work on the kayak. Like go yeah. do your job on the kayak all day. I mean, I probably wouldn't bring my computer on and use it while I'm in the kayak, but I would, you gotta I would, try it, man. <laughs> I did. I did think about doing this if I went to the island though, and just hotspotted myself or something. Uh, just kayak out to one of those islands. It's great because nobody lives on those islands, and anybody can go there. So I could just pull up there and and make breakfast on the coastline. That sounds amazing. It's like a 15 minute um, kayak trip too to get there. It's not that not that far, which is awesome. Come That's to Norway, amazing. Nick. Bring your kayak. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if I could. If just bulk luggage, it probably work. Yeah, actually, it's not that much to check um, stuff like that or to like do a special luggage thing. Usually, it's like fifty or a hundred bucks, hundred and fifty at most. Um, nice. Yeah, it's really not bad. But mm, maybe maybe that's what we need to do: ocean adventures. Yeah, we need that that should be the the closing point here. What is your next ocean adventure? <laughs> we should we should um record a live a live episode on the ocean. That'd be great. Oh my. Yeah, you you be in your kayak. I'll be in an inflatable kayak in the Pacific somewhere. It'd be perfect. <laughs> Oh, can we talk about quickly what's what's what exciting things do you have coming up for Halloween? What Halloween stuff's going on? I love I love Halloween. I'm getting so excited for these next couple of weeks. So, uh the main driving of like Halloween feeling in my life right now, like the Halloween spirit is coming most strongly from Animal Crossing actually. I don't know if anybody else is still playing this game. Yeah, I haven't played it for a while, but I saw the Halloween stuff. The fall stuff looked amazing. I'm also excited for that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's also Halloween stuff coming in, uh, of course, Rocket League and Fall Fall Guys should have some stuff. Um, but I'm also really excited because Pokemon Go is going to have a bunch of Halloween stuff like they usually do. Uh, they're going to have 
Halloween boxes and Halloween Pokemon, and there's going to be a Halloween Go Battle Cup. You can get nice. special things. I love getting unique, like, one-off holiday items that you can only get that Halloween, too. Um, I have a bunch of really cool stuff from different games that... Uh, that's that I think that's what makes the yeah. living ecosystem of these things really fun is that like that Halloween season is that Halloween season just like how you dress up as a certain way that time you do something unique that Halloween. I have many memories of very specific Halloweens that I absolutely loved. Oh yeah, definitely. Um I think other collectible Halloween things that are fun is like I think one of my favorite kind of like video game implementations of Halloween is like the League League of Legends like skins. Mm-hmm. those were always like so awesome um I th- some other halloween activities i'm doing um i'm starting so i was kind of uh lamenting the other day the loss of like because of how streaming services release um tv shows now mm-hmm. they're released all at once and so the producers never really plan for a halloween episode because it's not like they're aired over time or whatever they're not released near halloween but instead, I realized um, that a lot of these streaming services just release entire like Halloween-themed series. It's like Netflix, for example, has a spooky show um, called The Haunting of Bly Manor. I think last year it was like The Haunting of Hill House. And so we're starting a, a little weekly movie night or whatever you want to call it with our friends to watch these uh, scary Netflix shows. So that'll be a fun Halloween activity if you're into scary movies. <laughs> yeah, I don't usually like... A lot of them, it's weird. They have to be like thriller-esque and just really thematic and great for me to, to love that kind of stuff instead of the, the just creepy make you jump or gory stuff. But um, I love uh, yeah, I love that idea of like watching a series or experiencing something new and creepy and Halloween-ish with, with people. We've also been looking to do a weekly movie night over Halloween or over uh, October, I should say, mm-hmm. and watch some of the the fall and Halloween stuff like um, we're going to watch the sleepy hollow with, I watched that uh, yesterday or two nights ago. Nice. It's a good one. Yeah. It's weird. I, I mean, I've never seen, I had never seen it um, before that day or whatever this weekend. And it's a, it's a strange movie, but it is good. It definitely has Halloween vibes. Yeah. It feels a lot. Uh, it has the same st- some of the same strangeness vibes as like interview with a vampire, which I also think is an amazing film, which if you haven't mm-hmm. seen that, you need to watch that now. I also need to watch that. Oh, you haven't seen that. I'm so jealous, Nick. No. Those are like the two classic, uh, amazing fall feeling films that, and the great thing about them is that they're, they're not, uh, there's no like conclusion or happy feeling about them. I feel they're, they're They really encompass the idea of just living through the holiday um for what it should be (laughs) it's true um normally we do we go to the playhouse and they have like a halloween themed play of some kind like some either it's either halloween themed or kind of fall themed or at least kind of like spooky uh so last year for example they had uh the adams family which is like kind of a live play and the year before that they had a one called lights out which is an older story um basically about a blind woman who lives at home and these she basically some criminals are trying to like rob her house and she has to like fend them off Um, but she's blind and it's a interesting play because there's many times in the play where they turn the whole playhouse like dark 
uh, to kind Whoa. of simulate the blindness and what she has to go through. So it was like a really awesome experience. Um, that is amazing. I was kind of sad I didn't get to go this year because COVID uh, made Playhouse things an unwise choice. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, that, that reminded me that what a, what a cool idea that that is and like pushing your sensory elements within a an experience or theatrical uh, uh, um, play or something. But that there, when I was in the Netherlands applying to this design school, every week they would have some weird experiential uh, interactive group session on the top floor of their school, which was an old, like basically parking lot um like mm-hmm. uh parking garage and so there was this concrete room with nothing in it and and i remember the guy told me last week when they were doing it they all got drunk and had two gallons of milk each and flashlights oh and they would they were just like up there and milk was flying everywhere and there there were like light things going on and who knew they were all dancing and it was like very extreme and tribal and crazy but i just loved that idea of setting up the the environment to let yourself have some different experience you would never have otherwise you'll feel something you would never feel otherwise if you didn't do that that's that's what that play made me feel yeah exactly it was kind of surreal it was kind of like um i think for those of you who liked it the the magic of a quiet place in a theater was like a very odd feeling um the kind of premise of the movie is that the characters are not supposed to make sound and the movie reflects that through like a lack of sound. Hmm. So the movie is mostly silent, um, which, you know, kind of defies a lot of the concept of like a movie where you normally have like background music and people talking. Um, but it was like a nearly silent film. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, that's, I wonder what other things we can do within this realm of uh, trying new ideas. And this is what haunted houses are supposed to be too, right? You go into the haunted house and you, each room is to, made to make you feel something or like set up this really unfamiliar environment or situation where you don't know who the characters are or what's alive and what's not and what's going to move and what isn't. And that's, that's great. Um, that, nuanced excitement of something at the edge of possibility that doesn't fit into what your preconceived notions of life are anymore. I think that's where the real beauty of it is. It's just pushing the ideas of reality in in really cool, interesting ways. Halloween. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the whole like costume concept and being able to be like, okay, people are not what they seem to be or whatever as like the general theme is itself really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just like everybody dressing up and how that reflects their character, but also like how it masks who people are. Like it creates a pretty creepy and interesting aura. Yeah. And usually you're going to intrigue. You're going to dress up and try to project something you want to get out that you can't normally say. I mean, this is, this is like saying what art is too. Art is uh, this critique on culture and you're, you get to, express this inner thing and explore it when normally it's not okay to do that it's not socially acceptable to do that you can't dress up as the devil uh any other day of the year but during halloween you can do whatever you want uh and if you need to just see what it's like to be the devil for a day you can do that that's great 
Speaking of that, what have you uh, dressed up as the last few years? If you have. Um, I always just try to dress up as something. I've been... Uh, a, I did a very good vampire a few years ago when I went I went all out with it and uh, got custom sculpted teeth. And I tried oh, to make yes, it like... we did that together, remember? Yeah, we did do, we did do that too. Also, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, I guess I've done that multiple times. Uh, and I, we got, uh, these black blackout, um, contact lenses and I made this, uh, I made all of my clothes. Like I, I aged them purposefully. And so they all looked like I had been dead for a long time. And, but I, I I went over the top to make it very convincing because I, I'm a big believer in doing something right. And if you're going to do it, so, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, we like put on all this subtle makeup to make, so I looked really white and, and, uh, accentuated my veins out. And like, it was really cool. It was, it was a fun thing to dress up as and to, to really embody that idea of feeling like I had lived forever. Cause I also, it's like when you get into an acting role, I think you really, it's, it's much more exciting and fun if you become the character in the mindset of the character. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. What about That's you? That's a pretty what, fun costume. Uh, my most recent one was the horned god, um, which is one of these kind of like two or three deities, depending on how you look at it, from like pagan religions of basically representing like wilderness. Um, there's lots of different meanings, but effectively, uh, it, like horns on the head. So these kind of like big um, ram-like horns, a little bit devil-looking like, I guess, uh, but with like leaves and uh, foliage, like vines wrapped around them, uh, and like a cloak with like a staff, and uh, then underneath it I wore these like, the horned god is often like hooved or whatever, so I wore these like hairy pants, (laughs) and uh, had like a some symbolism that I had like written onto myself, like on my forehead. Uh, that was kind of a fun costume to make because it was a bit undefined. Um, this like deity is kind of like talked about, but it's, it's not really like, picturized anywhere. Uh, so it was kind of fun to just like say, okay, what is this concept? And I'm going to try to like build around it. So that was a fun <laughs> costume to make. That sounds really cool. Did you, uh, did you look into a lot of mythology or anything for that? Did you were you trying to make a demon come to life? It kind of felt like that. Um, I ended up reading like pagan and like Wicca, like witchcraft stuff, like a lot of it <laughs> in the kind of like exploration behind this costume, like way more of it than I needed to read to actually like build this costume. It was just like a bunch of interesting stuff. Um, yeah, there's some yeah. really cool characters you can find from i guess when people had more time to make stuff up than now (laughs) there's a lot of cool icelandic um like demons and characters and old norse uh gods and characters and a a lot of even more contemporary ones that you don't hear about other way other other uh places like uh, there's a lot of folklore and different things i've read about in norwegian folktales that i didn't know existed a girl that always rides on this bear that flies in the sky there's there's this guy asladen that has a flying ship and he might pick you up and take you somewhere and he uh is usually 
creeping into this second reality that exists in the ground where like these trolls and this dragon kingdom are it's just just crazy stuff like this where you you would never be able to make it up on the spot but when you start hearing about some of it it's really cool um that is cool krumpus too man krumpus is one of the coolest things ever i don't know if anybody has seen the videos of krumpus in the streets in germany but um there's like the the krumpus demons which are these whoever just wants to dress up as the devil demons will just come by and they'll just pick up children and carry them through the parade the random people's children they'll just pick them up and walk away with them uh i've seen some videos of this on youtube yeah they they (laughs) is it basically a demon that comes and steals your kids and eats them yeah it's it's a great theme really healthy i think (laughs) for everybody to play out um uh to tie it back to our theme a little bit i think one of the last costumes i remember putting a lot of effort into was a was a pirate ghost pirate actually yeah was this the one that you uh when you came to the apartment i was at yeah i think i did like a lot of face paint and yeah, I mm-hmm. painted myself to look like a skeleton and dirtied my clothes in my garden and pa- spray painted them ghostly. Yes. Uh, that was a pretty fun costume. That is a great one. I do remember that. Um, I was a robot once and I, I went straight for the hardcore classic robot costume. And uh, my friend Danielle and I, we got a bunch of cardboard boxes and cut them up and spray painted them. Mine was gold or bronze and hers was silver. And then we got the those um, like uh duct aluminum um spiral tubing you know that you put on the arms and everything so we we made like the classic robot costumes then we went to a party and (laughs) because they were so big and were bulky like and there were so many people in this party we we were like pushing people out of the way and we barely fit in the room and i just remember my box was being thrown everywhere and like everybody loved the costume but um that was fun to be an impractical robot for a night (laughs) Yeah, that sounds great. I was also, I remember what I was last year. I was um, Draco Malfoy because my friend Andrew, he looks just like Harry Potter and I convinced him to be Harry Potter and his wife looks just like Ginny Weasley and I convinced her to be Ginny Weasley. So it was Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley. And then, uh, of course, I was Draco and um, my my girlfriend was something else, some other witch. And so we were just battling them and running through London and screaming all the time. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a good one. Well, I'm uh, excited to see Halloween take a darker turn next time we talk. When we discuss, we should bring bring some yes, evil, evil. We should bring some good stories and uh, maybe firsthand experiences about evil. I'm gonna. We should definitely tell all of the stories where you and I have encountered evil together. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Nick. Oh yeah, I remember it manifesting through me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um Nick's banjo will play us out into the netherworld where we'll meet you next week. <laughs>